I'm Maike, psychologist and synesthesia artist. I have many types of synesthesia and this is me documenting my journey of learning more about it. So I'm meeting synesthesia scientists, book authors, musicians and people on the autistic spectrum to just have a chat about what synesthesia is and what it's like to have synesthesia. So come along and let's meet today's guest. Wow, okay, we're doing this. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, uh, to the first season of Let's Talk Synesthesia. I thought it's good to just introduce myself properly before we get to meet my very first guest. And yeah, so where do I start? I'm Maike, I'm 28, I'm from Germany, I'm a psychologist and synesthesia artist, and I have quite a lot of types of synesthesia, therefore I consider myself a neurodivergent and right now I'm a bit between like the UK, Austria and Germany which is why I'm recording from different places and yeah maybe I can just tell you how uh, how the whole idea of this podcast came about. So a year ago or so I created an Instagram account for my synesthesia art that was just for like family and friends and then this really nice international community developed and I got to meet so many interesting people virtually, uh, but still. Yeah, just synesthetes from around the world. It was so nice to connect. And they're like based in Mexico and Alaska, India, Africa, the UK, Finland, a lot of places I've never been to. So it's really cool to not only hear about other people's synesthetic experience, but also what it's like for each of us in a different cultural environment so yeah I, I just was really amazed by all these people I got to know and I felt like it's just the next natural step to gather all these stories and put them in a format that's I don't know fun and accessible so yeah I reached out to people and everybody was in and excited to do it um I'm recording the trailer now after I've already recorded most of the conversations, which is good because now I can tell you what this first season will be about. Synesthetes, artists, musicians, people on the autistic spectrum, because side note, there is a big relevant uh, connection between synesthesia and, and autism. And I mean, we're talking about neurodiversity. So we're going to talk about we're not only talking about synesthesia, but also about what it's like to be on the autistic spectrum, to live with ADHD and all the other neurodiversities. So I call it season one. <laughs> but quite frankly, I do not know what that means as for now, because I might want to wrap up this season after like eight or 10 or 12 episodes and reassess and then start again or don't. But also I found so many interesting people to talk to. So maybe season one will just never have an end. We will see how it goes. I'm so excited to connect. Please uh, reach out if you want to, for example, be a guest on the podcast. I personally would have probably done a better job in German because I that's my mother tongue but I would have not been able to speak to such a variety of of nationalities um so yeah it's my second language bear with me but we will be just fine I mean the purpose of this podcast it's kind of documenting my journey I want to learn more about synesthesia I'm realizing more and more how important the topic is for me personally but also as a psychologist or a healthcare professional. I think we don't have to be head over heels <laughs> about the topic, but 4% of the world's population have some type of synesthesia. That's a ton of people. It's like 350 million or so. Even though I had mostly good experiences, I think it's worth spreading the news. <laughs> just, I think it's just good if people know it it exists. So if you have a client or a kid in school comes up to you and says, the number four is a grumpy teenager, or this song tastes like cinnamon, or your name's your name looks purple, or your voice uh, tastes like broccoli. 
if we all know about synesthesia, we can just say, oh, that's very interesting. Let's look into it. Let's go on Spotify and learn from Micah. No, I'm just kidding. But I think so many kids were labeled as difficult or or they actually didn't do well in school because of how their brain is wired. And that's just really sad. And I think we can do better than that. So spread the news. Just share that synesthesia and neurodiversity is a thing and it impacts people's lives in a good way, but also sometimes in a bad way. It's often misunderstood as like an illness or a disorder. We're going to learn about all of that. But I just want to say it is a real neuropsychological phenomena. It's not made up. It's not like speaking in a metaphor. It is not a hallucination. It's something you can see on an MRI scan. But synesthesia comes down to having a brain that is wired differently. Brain areas are connected that usually aren't. And that results in perceiving the world a bit differently to your peers. But there's nothing wrong about it. And it's beautiful. Honestly, it's just beautiful. It's so cool. It's so fascinating and interesting. I wouldn't trade my synesthesia for anything in the world. It really... I just... I love it. (laughs) It's so cool. And if you have it yourself, there's a good chance your kid will have it. But maybe in in a completely different way. Like you might have auditory visual synesthesia, but then your kid has graphene color synesthesia, which will maybe lead to struggles at doing algebra which was a struggle for me and I think it's just important to to understand like the complexity of it because you might know quite well what your synesthesia looks like but then your kid has a completely different type knowing a bit more about it just helps to connect the dots that's what we're doing here so I think we're just gonna meet my friend now it was actually quite tricky to figure out which episodes can go first because I really want want the whole thing to have a narrative. <laughs> I decided to start with the episode called Questions of a Non-Synesthete, which is my friend Julie. She is uh, from Costa Rica and we met in Austria, in Innsbruck. Yeah, she studied psychology and is now doing a neuroscience PhD, uh, which is a really good background for the whole topic. But what really qualified her to to be talking to me um, is that she doesn't have synesthesia. Yeah, so the first episode will just be me and my friend Julie chatting about synesthesia, what it is, what it isn't. What she knows, we're going to talk about the forms of synesthesia that I have. I felt like it just makes more sense for the whole season to introduce myself properly to understand where I'm coming from. And then the second episode is another one I'm really excited about because I got to speak to a synesthesia celebrity. It's James Warnerton. He is one of the very first people who got let's say, diagnosed with synesthesia. Uh, He lives in England and we had a chat. He's a very cool guy. Um, Really enjoyed talking to him. It is fascinating how he perceives the world. So that's the second episode and you can jump to this one right after. All right, let's, let's meet Julie. Okay. Hi, Judy. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. Very happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. I'm so happy we get to chat today. So let us know where you are, where you're recording from. Right now in my house in Austria, Innsbruck. And that is actually where we met because I mentioned before we are friends and that's kind of what qualified you <laughs> to be on this. No, what what actually qualified you are multiple things. One, that you don't have synesthesia. Mm-hmm. And then you have a neuroscience background. Mm-hmm. And you're my friend. Yes. That's an <laughs> ideal combination to, <laughs> to start this season. Um, so we met in Innsbruck. We, well, we don't, <laughs> we actually met on Tinder. Um, (laughs) we met through mutual friends on a holiday in Italy let's put it that way 
and we've been good friends ever since and I'm so glad to have you in my life me too yeah I miss you a lot Brooke it's not the same without you oh man but I will come visit next week so that's amazing I'm recording from southern Germany at my family's place my first question for you would be when did you hear about synesthesia first uh, yeah I think it's quite interesting because with my background you would expect to have heard it before but actually I heard it for the first time with you uh, with an interaction with you one by yeah. one yeah I do think that's interesting you studied psychology in Costa Rica and then you studied in the Netherlands and yeah. now you're doing the neuroscience PhD in Austria so three different institutions around neuroscience and psychology and you also didn't come across it yeah exactly I also didn't, not in my bachelor's, not in my master's. But that's okay. That's why we're recording an educational podcast today. Exactly, very much needed. But I do think it, it's kind of weird. I would say neuroscience is like the neurodiversity degree. Like yeah. you, you guys must talk about different I, types of... I think... So in, synesthesia has both sides, like more a psychological part and also, of course, a neuroscientific part. And I think both in my bachelor's in psychology and in my master's in neuroscience, it was not mentioned because in both fields, synesthesia is not considered um, disease or a problem itself. And I think right now or through the last years maybe have changed but before especially there was a very focus on disease and I think it's good that then synesthesia has a neurodivergence perspective that is not pathologized and that's why I think yeah, no. did not hear about it and I think it's the same for psychology I think that's that's why we didn't really study it either because it's not clinical exactly. psychology it's not in the manual of diseases right yeah exactly why don't we just hear so I got to speak to professor Jamie Ward from the University of Sussex he is one of the world leading experts studying synesthesia and I asked him what synesthesia is so we'll just hear his answer quickly so people with synesthesia experience the ordinary world in quite extraordinary ways and we could think of synesthesia as being an extra sensation that's tagged on to uh, those that, that people would, would normally have. So if we think about music, for most people, music is something you hear. For a synesthetic, music might be something you hear and something that you see. So you see it as colours or shapes or uh, dancing fireworks. Or music might not just be something you hear, music might be something you taste as well. So one of the defining features of synesthesia is the fact that you're adding on uh, an extra perceptual experience, an extra sensation onto those that you would normally uh, have. Uh, the, the curious thing about it, of course, is that if you have synesthesia, that feels perfectly normal. Uh, you can't imagine what music's like to just hear it and not also see it. You know, so that is your normal experience of the world and you can't, you know, you think everybody else must be like uh, sensory deprived to, to, to not have this. And so that's how I would uh, define synesthesia. I mean, there's a few other properties that, that I, I think are important. One is that the synesthetic experiences are automatic, by which I mean that people don't choose to have them or not. They can't switch them on. They can't really switch them off. Um, to some extent, you might be able to control it by not thinking about it. So, um, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're listening, if music's on in the background, but you're not paying attention to it, does the music trigger colours? Well, you know, you might not notice the colours in the same way as your peripheral vision's always there, but you, you don't always notice it. Synesthesia might be something like this. It doesn't always intrude uh, on, on what you're doing, but, but it, it, you can't really co control it in an obvious sense. So I asked you in advance if you have any questions and maybe we'll just start there. Yeah, I think I'm curious to know uh, how it affects your daily life and your experience with the world. It's a good one. It, it's a big one. I think it affects probably almost every aspect of my daily life 
but not like in a very neutral way I would say but later when we talk about the forms of synesthesia I have I can go into more detail about that but like basically everything I perceive is automatically translated into a color so if I watch a series for example I finished Ginny and Georgia on Netflix I'm not sure if you've watched it but one of the characters, Maxine, is like this pastel purple to me. It just happens. But then for for other types like grapheme color synesthesia, where you see letters and numbers in, in specific colors, um, I think I'm a bit more negatively affected by that because I can't really do algebra, I would say. <laughs> the moment they put letters in calculations my brain broke I think it probably for many people but for me especially I like copying a calculation from the board onto my piece of paper was hard and like gate numbers or wi-fi passwords so difficult but why is it hard because you see them in colors yeah so because every letter has a color in my mind's eye but also every number and then of course colors are a bit like limited so the um s and three has the same color and i just normally i just have a color code forever for whatever word i see and then i remember the color code but if it's a mix i just don't know anymore was it a color or a letter and then i get confused because they have the same color if it was Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, I just can't remember. Uh huh. I think it's very interesting because I also heard a bit of research happening towards the line of trying to apply synesthesia methods or trying to make non-synesthesia people to have the synesthesia or to associate numbers with colors to to improve their memory. So I would think that if you can, if you have this anesthesia, then it would be easier for you. Yeah, I think, I think if I remember correctly, there is evidence on synesthetes having higher scores at memory and creativity. So yeah, I think maybe it's a good technique. And for example, where do you see these colors and shapes? Like when you were saying about the character in this Netflix TV show like she was that color on TV or if you close your eyes and she would talk then you would see that color or how does it work that's a good question for the character I can hardly answer I think so there is a distinction um, between associator synesthetes and projector synesthetes mm -hmm. an associator synesthete would have it mainly in their mind's eye or they don't see it they just know it kind of um and then for a projector it's almost like out there and not like hallucination but like if you look at if you have grapheme color synesthesia and you look at words and a projector synesthete would almost see yeah I, so i see it as a layer on the actual letters i know the letters are black and white but i i see a layer on top of it Mm, okay. so for graphene color synesthesia I see it out in the world and then for other types like auditory visual synesthesia for example where uh, sound and music and voices are translated into a like visual experience that's only in my mind's eye and then for the character and for like personality to color synesthesia I think it's more of a I so if I would think of this character, Maxine, from the show, I see mm -hmm. her and then she has this purple aura. <laughs> but if I would see, like, if I watch the show, there is no purple aura. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I have, cannot imagine it. <laughs> I haven't experienced anything like it. But then is this 24-7? Like it doesn't stop. It's the whole day. Yeah, like there. Yeah, there. Definitely. <laughs> um, I think 
But wait, well, it is a good point, actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, it is 24-7. Also, like, I have very synesthesia-driven dreams. They're often, like, these abstract artworks and, like, people appear as, I don't know, wood or powder. Like, it's <laughs> it's very, very abstract. But also, the whole thing gets more intense when I'm sick or overstimulated by like after a concert or whatever if I'm like if I had a good day I don't feel sick or anything it's quite bearable but yeah if I'm sick it's just like every cough has a color every I don't know every every like everything that touches my skin has a color so I have this scarf um it's very very soft and when I'm like if it, when I'm sick, I just lay on the scarf and because it doesn't, it's like a neutral, neutral texture. So I don't get any associations from laying on that scarf. But usually, yeah, then on regular days, you are used to it and then it happens the whole day, but you feel okay with it. You're, Yeah, I think it doesn't take up too much attention. It's more like this background thing, like mm-hmm. you you would do your you you go to your lab you see our mutual friend lucy or jess and then they say something funny and that reminds you of a friend in costa rica and you don't have to say it you don't it doesn't have to take up your whole attention but you just have this immediate association of uh this girl to this girl and then it just fades i think this is extremely interesting for me as a neuroscientist but also as a person that is very interested in meditation because it sounds like you have a different perspective or experience with experience itself than maybe to people without synesthesia we missed. Uh, So we know that there are also different or improved connections. There's one theory that synesthesia has an increased a volume of gray matter of the connections. I guess one of your experts <laughs> would comment on this, but there's a theory in synesthesia that people with synesthesia have a stronger or um, increased volume of gray matter in the brain. So the connections between neurons, they're more, and this leads to then the association from parts that are more into the sensory processing of the information with the visual processing of the information and they are more linked and then this leads to both sensory inputs in your brain yeah i did definitely read about something like that i think it does have to do with like gray matter kind of thing i just don't know enough about the brain yet but this is why we are on the first episode of season one yeah, I, you're probably right, um, and probably the experts know a lot about it, um, but I don't. Um, yeah, I think, well, synesthetes, I think it, the experience is just very, very different for everybody. I think what the ones I spoke to, all of them would want to keep it. They don't want to get rid of it, but... I think it comes with a burden as well. It's not just like a superpower. (laughs) I actually don't like to call it a superpower because it feels a bit weird, Mm -hmm. a bit superior. (laughs) I don't want that. Um, I think it does give you a couple more skills, but it also, for me at least, takes some others. So I think it's just, yeah, it's just a norm variant of being human, I feel like. So what researchers know is that we are all born as synesthetes, which I think is super cool. Yes, we are. That's the theory. Um, We are all born with a completely like fully connected brain. And then over the years, your brain builds these like motorway connections between different areas and the other connections disappear because they like they don't serve any neuronal pruning of what you exactly yeah very good you you know the term yeah exactly so we 
we have these motorways, like <laughs> I would call them, um, mm-hmm. and Forest Synesthetes brain um, connections are still there in adult adult age, even though we don't really need them. So they're like a bit like a special effect. Kind but of thing. also, yeah, that's very interesting because I think language in our society has such an important role. I think those networks get strengthened, but the rest or the synesthesia ones would get pruned. And I think um, there's evidence that say that when you meditate, going back to that, the default mode network decreases. Yeah. And and in synesthesia, I don't know exactly how, if there's any data about the default mode network, I don't know if we should explain it to the people that people when you let your mind wander what the brain tends to do is self-talk and this activates a network in the brain that is called the default mode network i knew the mechanism but i didn't know the term that's yeah amazing yeah yeah and then meditation has shown that decreases the activation of the default mode network makes me think that we as we developed and language is so important to us that we develop this self-talk the majority of us that then this default network it strengthens yeah cool i mean that's yeah that's a good point i think it's also very helpful to know for me as a psychologist (laughs) i'm also wondering if synesthesia runs in families synesthesia does run in families that's what we know today, which is also really cool. It doesn't run in my family too. And in a couple episodes before, I said it's only my aunt, which I'm now a bit embarrassed by. So if you listen any episodes that I had or have already recorded before Julie and I met, I probably will say only my aunt has it. Turns out my dad has it too. <laughs> so that's... This is a That's a bit of a plot twist after 28 years. And I think the most embarrassing aspect about it is that I had the conversation like a year ago with him and I found out that he had sequence-based synesthesia. We spoke about it. I said, well, that's really cool. For me, it's different. And then I just moved on. Now I'm staying with my parents. I remembered, shit, we had this conversation. Um, so yeah, why don't we just hear... What another amazing scientist, Dr. Duncan Carmichael from the Napier University in Edinburgh in Scotland has to say about genetics and how synesthesia is inherited. I mean, synesthesia does does run in families, right? You see, just anecdotally, you see uh, different generations of families having, having synesthesia. So it's common to see multiple generations of, of families having synesthesia, not necessarily the same type. So the type can differ, but it, you know, just by looking, having sort of met and spoken to a lot of people with synesthesia, definitely, I would say it definitely runs in families, but the mechanism and how that actually happens is still largely unknown, really. I mean, it's clear that there isn't a single gene for synesthesia. That much is is clear. If, If that was the case, we probably would have found that by now. It's probably probably similar to many kind of cognitive traits whereby many, 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 many genes have very, very, very small influences over <clears throat> over the type of synesthesia that might, or, or someone's likelihood of having synesthesia. So there's always going to be some kind of environmental input. But I, I would imagine, if I had to guess, and we don't have evidence for this either way, so there's, I mean, I would say there's definitely not a single synesthesia gene, but most probably, I would say there's probably hundreds and hundreds of genes that have a very small influence, which change someone's likelihood to develop a form of synesthesia. And this obviously needs some environmental trigger and some envir- environmental input as well. So, you know, we've talked about graphene color synesthesia. If you, it's a bit of an extreme example, but if you never see letters or numbers written down ever, then you, you you don't have the environmental trigger to, to develop that kind of synesthesia. You need the environmental input before you can do that, right? So so there has to be an environmental aspect to it as well. I suspect I suspect there is 
a genetic basis. But it goes back to what we were saying before about finding the numbers of people. I think to find that, you'd need to do some very big studies, probably with thousands and thousands of synesthetes. And that would give you a bit of an inclination. But what I, if I had to guess, I would say there's probably hundreds of genes that exert a very small influence that, um, on someone's likelihood of developing synesthesia. And when you kind of add all that influence up together, that kind of gives gives you know a likelihood of someone developing it. And I mean, one one kind of question to bear in mind here is you know we talked about synesthesia having all these multiple terms from a genetic perspective we don't know whether you know whether these are just kind of behaviorally similar phenomena that are genetically completely unrelated or whether they all share a, a similar genetic basis for example so so when you're thinking about those kind of studies or how you might investigate that it's very hard to know whether <clears throat> you know whether kind of testing people with all sorts of different types of synesthesia is actually going to help your study or hinder your study because you might actually be testing people with um, a range of genetically unrelated but behaviorally similar phenomena or not. So, so I think the best way of doing it probably would be to, to try and recruit as many people as you could with a single form of synesthesia. Looking at it, I would say it is a hereditary trait. I mean, it does tend to run in families, but we don't have re any clear evidence as to what you know, what the kind of genetic basis of synesthesia is really, which is a shame because it's a question I'd really like to answer. That would be a, a very interesting one to find out. I have two more questions. Uh, Hit me. Should we finish with the questions and then we go to your types? Yes. Okay. So I also want to know if it affects your work as a psychologist or how does it affect it? Mm, yeah, so... At my last workplace, I think it did affect me. It maybe affected a team as well, because but not for my clients specifically. But due to my synesthesia, I have a lot of aversions, I would say. Like I hate oval-shaped objects. And at my workplace, there were a lot of like aesthetically unpleasing things <laughs> that I couldn't really um, handle and I had to pointed out all the time and I think I was pretty annoying but also like new workspaces where I'm it's not on me to to decide on interior I think it's quite hard for me it really takes weeks or months to adjust to this completely new environment which in this case was my work in, environment so that affected me a bit and then the other side um, if it affects me when I'm working with clients it does but I think it will, especially in the future. So I did in the past ask my autistic clients if they experience anything like that. And that would, um, in that specific case, they said no. So I didn't um, talk about it. But if they would have said yes, it would have definitely shaped the way I work with them. And I think in the future, especially if once I'm, a psychotherapist and I work with patients in my practice I do want to focus on that and it I think it is more common on people with autism to also have synesthesia right yeah there is a big overlap yeah I mean there are a lot of people on the autistic spectrum who don't have synesthesia and there are a lot of synesthetes that don't have autism but yeah there's a big overlap and I think yeah it just especially interesting for uh, non-speaking autistic people with synesthesia because like it just gives you another dimension to communicate mm -hmm. like if mm -hmm. if a feeling or pain has a specific color but you um it could just be a way to express whatever you you're experiencing through color and then it just needs the other person to like translate it and yeah it just can be really helpful to work with it as a psychologist if mm -hmm people have it and if the other person doesn't have synesthesia I think can also use just my perception to understand what's going on when you mentioned the workplace that it would take you time to adjust to it you mean the arrangement of the objects in a room and the synesthesia experience that they make you have or which mm -hmm. aversions do, do you have that 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you ask. <laughs> so there are two examples. Um, one is in our office, we had glasses. Uh, every glass had a different color. Then they were ombre. And then it also had this, I don't know, very weird texture. And every team meeting, I would focus on the glasses. And if, if it would be my turn to bring coffee and water, I would never <laughs> bring the colorful glasses because they distract me so much because they're just... And then the <laughs> other thing is I had a couple of colleagues. I, well, there's one specifically who has really bad handwriting. Um, and I would look at the team board, try to understand what he wrote down. And like the word doesn't get any color because I can't really identify a letter and then I would identify it I was like okay that's that's a pink word um, but it doesn't really make sense in the context and then someone would be like oh no no that's that's an age and then the whole word on clipboard suddenly be green I was like whoa Whoa. I was never exposed to really bad handwriting until Mm. until that specific person very Mm. grateful And can you tell us more about which other aversions do you have because of your synesthesia? So oval-shaped things, math, um, loud sounds. It's very hard to say which part is synesthesia and which part is having sensory processing difficulties because I'm very sensitive to to sound and mm. textures. Well, I'm just very sensitive to many things and when they get too strong, it's hard hard for me to, to process them. So an ambulance sound, I mean, nobody likes it, but I find it so rude sometimes. Like, it gives me anger <laughs> because it's so invasive. And I think, well, I don't like specific names. I think it also, I don't like specific city names as well. I think it might also change my preferences for where to live (laughs) Um, which yeah like family names or first names I I definitely have aversions for some names also makes you more attracted to certain people that you see like their name is a different color and then you like them more or you are more prone to meet them? I think so. It's probably quite subtle and like the personality in the end will um, decide if I like them or not. But mm-hmm. I think it's one of these preferences that we just don't notice. Could be. And how do you feel in my room? Is it too colorful for you or too? No, I, no, I really like your room. I also really like your name. Okay. And I your your voice has a bit of a like orange rusty kind of color. Why? But your name is blue and white. <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I hope you like orange rusty <laughs> things. <laughs> rusty and spotty. I don't know. <laughs> That's so strange for me. I have one last question. Okay. It's the one that I don't know if it's appropriate for the podcast, but yeah, you will. Oh, interesting. Bring it on. And I was wondering why I have never asked this before. (laughs) I was wondering how does synesthesia affects you while having sexual intercourse? Is that the correct way to say it on a podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Sexual intercourse. (laughs) Yeah. I really like the word sexual intercourse. Um, okay, so uh, no, it, it's definitely appropriate. And I, uh, well, I would say sex. Yeah, does it affect, well, it doesn't, yeah, okay. Yes, I have a type called, and I'm not sure which term is better, sexual synesthesia or orgasm to visual synesthesia. Okay. And I have that. And it's amazing. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> How is it? Um, yeah, we can talk about it. It, it. We can just start with this type because I really wanted to talk about like a list of types so the people right. listening can can hear a couple different types. I, of course, don't have 60 to 80 types. Um, so there are a lot more out there. But I think I'm quite okay to start with because I have, I think... 15 different okay. forms some are a bit stronger some are not as strong 
Um, and maybe the number 15 will change over time. Maybe I will realize there is another one or I realize two forms are actually the same category or I don't know. But for now, it's like, it's that 15. So would you just, should we just start with the sexual, sexual one? Keep it spicy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then we go on to the less spicy ones. Um. Okay, so there is a website called The Synesthesia Tree, and I don't know who's running the website, but um, you get types of synesthesia in alphabetical order, and I think, well, it's a website I looked at when I tried to figure out what types I have, and it's also the website I recommend to people who are trying to get inspiration, to, because what we experience is like so fucking normal to us. It's like our very basic, like it's just the understanding and perception of the world. So it really is good to look at a list like this and be like, oh, actually, that's I not do. normal. Yeah. Oh, and hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look at it. Maybe I have one and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely could be, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I looked at that list as well. Um, I thought I have mainly graphene color synesthesia, which is, like I said before, letters and numbers have a distinct color and they are stable over lifetime. And I knew that when I was seven already, my mom did the research, told me we thought it's cool and yeah, kind of moved on. And I thought, yeah, like that's my, the type I have, that's it. But then over the last one and a half years, roughly, I just discovered how many more types I have. And one of them is this orgasm or sexual synesthesia, orgasm visual synesthesia. I don't know which one to use. Um, so yeah, a, whenever I have sex, sexual intercourse. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> yeah, I would just see the very crazy, amazing artwork. It's a bit like, well, it can be like, watercolors or uh like a firework or moving shapes uh in different colors and patterns um it's never the same which makes sense because no orgasm is like the other and yeah it can be I think this one specifically is really interesting because sex is a combination of many things it's like a f an emotion it's physical touch it's being aroused which is another uh, kind of layer to it so it's many it's yeah it combines many things and then I think that's why it's so vivid and intense um well what I yeah. see I mean <laughs> does it have like a stable element with one person like something that remains the same when you have orgasms with that person or never they're no. all completely they're they're very different well no they're very different um it it doesn't doesn't have a connection to the person I'm with I think it, it is more influenced by what I saw a couple hours before because when that's the same when I go just go to bed after a long day lay in bed and the room is dark and then I would experience something similar where whatever abstract painting my brain is coming up with is very much influenced by what I did that day um, and I think it's the same for for sex. And also so the painting and what you see during sex, you see it when you close your eyes. In yeah, yeah. So a dark box. room um, and closed eyes, like that. That's where you can you can see more. Yeah, because you're not distracted by by other things. Well, at least that's true for me. Yeah. So I started my Instagram actually with these abstract dreams. I think you remember. <laughs> you were one of the first people to see um and then yeah now the other day I started to come up with this orgasm abstract orgasm series so you'll you'll get to see very soon very cool yeah yeah okay so that's one type I have and if anybody out there has it too I'm very happy to connect <laughs> so then there's another type called auditory visual synesthesia do you have an idea what that is auditory visual 
that uh, sound provokes a uh, vision, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm not sure if we can say vision. That sounds very spiritual. Um, well, it can be. I think synesthesia is spiritual for many, many people. Um, but auditory visual synesthesia, yeah, is like a sound. It can be music, ambulance, a voice, or just like a clicking sound or whatever. Um, and that can provoke a color, shape, form, texture. Um, and I have that. It's a bit less strong than other types. So some people and also people I interviewed, they have it very strongly and they do these amazing abstract art paintings. But I couldn't do that. Like I can't listen to a song and then it will reliably give me <laughs> an amazing artwork. Sometimes it's just not strong enough. But for voices especially, I get, I yeah, I, I have that. And then for other people, it might be auditory taste, which will be my guest on in the second episode, uh, James Warnerton. He, he has like auditory or sound or, yeah, we'll talk about that. But he can taste words in his mouth. Um, but I don't have anything related to to producing that kind of sensation. Um, and I think it's especially good to, to explain auditory visual synesthesia through, I think we use it a lot, like in normal, in our day-to-day -day language, I think we use it quite a lot. Like we would say on a piano, this tone is very dark, very bright. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, or like a happy sound or a sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, and then there is sequence-based synesthesia, which is the type my dad also has. I also have it. Do you have any idea what that is? Sequence-space. I actually think if I remember one of your Instagram posts, it was about seeing numbers or months or weeks or days of the week organized around in your space something like that yeah that's amazing yeah it is yeah. so i think it's quite common to have an idea on what the year looks like maybe you have that <laughs> if you well now it's january and I don't know, I'm going to ask you a question about September and then you suddenly see the year in your mind's eye. No. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Well, that's the conversation I had with my parents and then my dad described... Uh, so for me, it's like a, a, a time beam that starts at my left eye and then it goes like to the right in the far distance. So January is at my eye and then December is far away. But for my dad, it's like this very orderly folder. So he has January as a folder in front of him. And then behind that, it's February, March and so on. And if he wants to look at April, he will, in his mind's eye, pull out the, the April folder. And then it's like floating above the other closed folders. And he will see the four weeks of the month. Wow. And then With that's how um, he didn't say that there were numbers. There are also no colors. It's all like white, grayish. But he did say it has like four sections for like the rough four weeks of a month. And then he wow. can just put it back. And I think that's that's so orderly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then for other people, the months are maybe just around the body like September is behind them and then June is right in front of them and maybe has different colors or not it's just yeah I don't know I think it's just as a as a kid you're exposed to this very abstract concept of time and then mm -hmm. your mom says Santa Claus isn't coming yet he's coming in December and you're like what the heck is December um <laughs> and so where can I yeah, yeah, that's at least how I understand it. Like the brain trying to come up with a solution to solve this abstract problem. Um, okay, we're going to talk about another 
type, which is called ticker tape synesthesia. Okay, ticker tape. Yes. Ticker tape. Yes. I have no clue what that is. I also had no idea. Um, Sounds, uh, I think it rings a bell. Maybe I read it somewhere, but I don't know. I read it in a Facebook group. Someone else described it and I was like, oh. I had no idea idea this is synesthesia because it's very different. Like for the other types, we always get like one thing that provokes the other thing. So we have grapheme, color, auditory, visual. So the first thing is the stimulus and then the other thing is your reaction. Um, and ticker tape is not like that. <laughs> well, the word at least is not. So once I translated ticker tape into German, which would be Laufschrift, it made a bit more sense. It's like having subtitles to your daily life. Ah, yeah. So someone's speaking and you see what they say. You don't have that, or do you? Oh, no, I do. I do. It's one of the most invasive types, I think. Yeah. So now what I'm saying, you are seeing words. Yes. What? <laughs> I didn't know you have this. I think I actually saw it also on another post of your Instagram page about this yeah. type. But I had no idea yeah. you had it. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. It is a wild thing to have, honestly. Um, but also, I well, it's not good. It's not bad. It's just there. I think it makes me quite good at grammar and spelling. I guess it also appeared later on when you learn how to write, right? Yeah, definitely. No, that. And if you don't understand the language, you don't see anything. So if I would speak Spanish right now, you would not understand. Can we try? <laughs> see, pero no sé qué decir. Yeah, nothing. I, nothing. I just see like if I, if I focus, um, Por lo I can just see. Por lo menos las yeah, letras. Say... Por las letras o como la p si digo pero o l si digo letra no um i was so hard letters, like if i would see say like letra that is letter and it has an l and you can like the sound and then you would see at least an l but no oh no yeah i did so letra or whatever it was was the only word i could properly see because i understand it but then the rest was just like it was too quick, of course. And but then you wouldn't yeah. see anything. You would see like a blurry word. Yeah, like just random letters. So I would pick up uh, letters of the words okay. you're saying, but not uh -huh. a whole word. So I would just have a lot of like distinct wow. letters, and then like blurry, blurry, distinct letter. And then I saw like a big. Um, light blue l and then a dark blue e and i was like okay <laughs> but then you were you already moved on to a new word so yeah it, i i can't i can't uh that's, follow it. Like, that's amazing like a tape machine fails <laughs> um <laughs> and you thought that all of us would have that yes oh for sure i mean you that's that just before. the way i think I definitely thought everybody has it because, I mean, people speak and I have to understand what they say um, and it just makes sense to write it out. Of course. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's oh, so wow. convenient. Um, but then when someone uses a word I don't know, I really, I am just stuck with the word and like like the, the ticker tape can't, uh, well, it goes on, but still like there's this one word that I have to figure out either what it means or how it's spelled. And once I solve the problem of this word, um, I can go back to the usual ticker tape. Nice. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. So then the next two types are a bit intertwined, for me at least. Um, and also, they are a bit the result of sequence space and grapheme color. So they're called month to color and month facial. Um, and we spoke about it before. Like, even though you maybe don't have grapheme color synesthesia, you might associate the month or the days of the week with a color and they might also have a position in the space around you. Um, but we don't have to talk about that in detail because we already looked in, at the year and it's basically that for me. 
And then it's pain to visual synesthesia, which is quite easy to understand, I guess. I think that's one of my favorite ones. Really? Yeah, I mean, I don't like pain, but I cannot imagine having pain without seeing it. If you've run into a cupboard or something, like the shape is very much whatever uh, hits my body. So it would be like the corner of a cupboard. And then it has the color of like the intensity and the the feeling of the pain. Um, But then when I have a sore throat or I cough, um, it's more like a ring. Yeah, I mean, every pain is different. So it's not, coughing is not always yellow. It can have a different color the next time. Um, Or if my stomach hurts. What color is a stomachache? Yeah, it's just never the same. Because you can't really reproduce pain. You know what I mean? So if mm-hmm. so I can't really answer that. Okay. That's weird, okay. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I never did I never did any art on that. I think I'm gonna do that. Okay, and then I have another type which is very uh, invasive as well, but it's extremely helpful and I I love it so much. It's called thought process visual. Um, I never, I only read about it on the synesthesia tree website, um, never before. And I think it's just seeing your thoughts visually in your mind's eye, like everything I think about. Do you know what I mean? Like you see the letters of the thought you are having. No, not it's not about the words. It's no, it's just like the problem I'm solving. Let's say if I'm trying to, uh, it's very hard to to describe. It's so automatic and just so unconscious, but a visual thinker, and I cannot imagine solving a problem without. Um, thinking about the one thing as a square box and the other thing as a circle and then I move them in space uh, while I'm talking um, to get to the results I'm trying to get like to. So you you no. have your own board, like your own writing board that each object represents something that you want to say and you are like erasing and <laughs> adjusting. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. Thank you. That's a very good way to put it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's like a board, but it's not green. It's not like a board at school. It's white. You move stuff around. You erase stuff. Your stuff gets bigger or smaller. And then I add stuff. You add it yeah. to the board. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> and I think it's a very good way to memorize stuff as well. Because if I have to think about the same situation again. Well, yeah. Like everything I remember is like a conversation, for example, is like a, a, a board. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> uh, okay. So those were the nine types that are very clear for me and then I have another seven types that are not that clear because they don't happen all the time they're a bit less reliable um but maybe I just have to pay more attention to them maybe I do experience them every day but they are just not very strong so I can ignore them (laughs) Um, and one of them would be emotions to visual I think if I feel stuff, they often also have a color, but not always. And then tactile or touch to visual. I think we spoke about that before. So yeah, I can feel touch and I would also see touch at the same time. I think I don't really see taste on a regular basis, (laughs) Um, but I can. So I think that falls a bit into the maybe one shot phenomena area which um is a whole topic in itself like consistency is the main criteria can you relate to any of these types no (laughs) my brain is very average (laughs) well you said before that you have a very good biochemistry and i think that's like that's the biggest win yeah in the 
since then yeah i haven't suffered from anxiety or depression yeah then it's yeah that's amazing average. i can't say that about myself probably not average it's like amazing mm. okay i already feel exhausted by talking about all these types let me just read out the last four types and if anything of that catches your attention we can talk about it but we won't talk about all of them in detail okay okay okay, okay there's person to color synesthesia already spoke about this with yeah. the show i've watched then we have high production synesthesia which i don't really know what it is if anybody can explain it to me i think it relates to the thought process visual synesthesia um then we have sound to personification <laughs> and i think people can relate to that well now i'm explaining it but okay so a sound might provoke the association of a personality so a very high-pitched fast sound might be a running teenager <laughs> I don't know I'm just making that up but like okay. the a sound is more than just a sound and it can have like characteristics that we would normally describe a person with okay. and that's also the case for objects object personification and I think that's I think that's so funny. I read about cutlery personification specifically. Does cutlery for you have a gender? In the sense that in Spanish, a spoon is female, yeah, but not by itself. Okay. I mean in language, yeah. No, for me, definitely. The knife is male, a spoon is definitely female, and a fork is also female, but she's a bit younger. What? You don't have that. I thought that like this for sure. I was like, this is not even worth mentioning because everybody has it. And the small percentage that doesn't have it will think I'm crazy. Okay, now I feel crazy. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's your brain. It's perfect on its own. <laughs> However, it understands the word. It works. <laughs> so it's like a little family. Well, it's like polyamorous relationship okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, then, yeah they only have female babies because there's no small knife you know mm -hmm. well that that one is a bit odd isn't it it's, it's a bit silly <laughs> but maybe someone can relate to it i well i thought everybody can i'm surprised you can't i don't know <laughs> I think the majority doesn't have it. We will see. So um, whoever is interested on my Instagram account, which is synesthesia, but the I is replaced with a underscore. Well, there will be a post for each uh, episode. A couple photos of what we spoke about. It's not needed. You don't have to look at it. But if you want to, to just have like the visual. Yeah, just a couple things we spoke about. I think it's just fun to have. Okay, Judy, do you know more or less after we spoke for, um, what is it, more than an hour? Yeah, definitely. I know more. But you're more confused as well, aren't you? I think so, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, am I missing so many experiences of the world? The world can be so much more entertaining <laughs> than I'm leaving it. It would be amazing to swap brains for a day. <laughs> yeah i wouldn't have such a relaxed life for a moment well i'm not <laughs> i don't want to say it's more relaxed it would just be very different yeah i'm just wondering how when you were seven and your mom and you discovered that you had synesthesia how it didn't come up that your dad also had it and which type of synesthesia yeah, that... does your aunt has from your dad's side yeah i think it, i think has a really good point so i thought i only have graphene color synesthesia And my parents did talk about it, but nobody could relate to it. But then my dad's sister said, I also have that. And we knew that it runs in families, I don't know, case closed. But what we know today is that the likelihood to, to develop some sort of synesthesia um, runs in your family, but not the type. So you can have all sorts of different types because of the same genetic disposition so mm -hmm. since we didn't know about sequence-based synesthesia, it didn't come up ever until like a year ago. He thought everyone had that as well, probably. Yeah. 
Sweet. Yeah. So what is your research subject? Um, I feel like we, we have to touch that for a second since you're in neuroscience. Like my PhD project, it's about characterizing the function of human-specific genes in neurodevelopment using genetic teen and human stem cells. In a nutshell. Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. It can be frustrating and challenging, but it's very fulfilling and interesting. I'm glad. Thank (laughs) you so much for your time today and for your questions and interest. And I really, really hope that Questions of a Non-Synesthete was a good way to start the season. I hope you... Learn something new today. And yeah, stick around if you want for the next couple of episodes. We're going to hear from James Warnerton. And then we are going to hear from scientists and guys that wrote a book about synesthesia and a couple of artists and drug-induced synesthesia. It will be a, a wild mix of many things. Looking forward to that season release. No, Okay. I'm sending you a big, big hug to Innsbruck. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Ciao. See you. You've been listening to Let's Talk Synesthesia. There will be a new episode of Series 1 every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, you can like, follow and share. Details about the podcast and how to connect with today's speakers can be found in the show notes. The executive producer was Micah Pricing with music by Corin Anderson and the podcast was supported by a couple more neurodivergent people in the background. See you next week.